Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's episode number 44, and it's Jeremiah Schmidt here. But today we are interviewing Michelle Obosu, and this one's going to be awesome because she is a creative filmmaker and amazing storyteller, and she's also an IBM consultant. And this episode is, it's, it's cool because, you know, a lot of us, if you're listening, you have a place where you go to work and maybe you have some type of side project on the side that you love to do, whether that be a podcast, a YouTube channel, maybe even a business and, or something like that, right? And I think this episode is really valuable for people who want to start something or are working on something currently. You know, we talk about the perfectionism, we talk about storytelling, we talk about building your passion on the side. And um, not only is this something that I think will help you outside of work, but also something you can apply in work. And it's interesting when you see Michelle's take on this, you know, working as a consultant at IBM, how she applies her creativity inside the workplace as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and uh, let's hop into it. much uh, Jeremiah for that wonderful introduction. I'm really happy to be here um, and uh, be interviewed by you. You have a great podcast. I'm excited to be a part of it. Thank you. Um, Yeah, no problem. A little bit about me. Um, I am filmmaker slash screenwriter, as well as I am associate consultant at IBM. I specialize in change management, which means I help to manage the people side of change um, when we're rolling out a technological solution like a a CRM tool or like like Salesforce. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to bring storytelling into everything I do and ideation. So I try to fuse um, a lot of the things that I like to enjoy, such as uh, writing, um, storytelling into my business. And as well as I love to take pragmatic project management type style things that I learned from business and bring that over when I'm making films or making uh, audio, audio stories. Mm-hmm. So like what exactly fascinates you about storytelling? Um, or you just kind of grew up like that and you just, your parents told you a lot of stories or did you stumble upon it earlier on or is there the meaning behind it? Yeah, good question. So I think what I love most about stories is that they're memorable. Um, stories are personal and stories are something that um, when told, they stick with you. And, and when someone yeah. tells their story, it's always a good story. So I think that's my number one thing that I love about stories. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like even digging into it, uh, like with your story process, like what do you How do you build your stories? Uh, What do you like to talk about? Good question. So um, my, I guess my methodology in applying stories is kind of understanding what is the call to action that I would, that I desire at the end of a speech or a presentation or a PowerPoint. Um, And then I Mm -hmm. try to find a story that relates to that call to action in my life. Um, So that's kind of my process is find something relatable. Um, If I'm talking to somebody who's very family oriented, I might tell them a story about my family or my personal experience or if someone's a little bit nervous, I might share an embarrassing story. Um, so, but I guess the process in that is kind of, you need to really be creative in remembering the stories or the experiences you've had in life, but it's just kind of tying each story to a certain situation. 
Yeah, and I, I totally, like, I agree with that so much. Like, even looking at my podcast the other day, I was sitting down and I realized, like, I want to share more of, like, my personal experiences, like, kind of, like, experience shares and stories, because I think that's how we can all learn, right? Like, it's a lot, a lot of the times, like, you can tell someone, like, what to do, and, like, maybe they don't want to, like, you know, do it, but, like, mm-hmm. if you share your story, they're like, whoa, like, I see a little bit of myself in that story, exactly. and then they, like, resonate with it. It's, like, they're making the, the decision instead of, you know, something, and it all comes from a story, and, like, that's the beauty of it. Exactly. Um, it's their choice to act on it or not. It's kind of not um, just being like, go and do this. It's kind of like, this is why I'm telling you, you know, it's your choice, but I've let you know, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is like, you never know what you can pull from a story too. Mm-hmm. That's true. So like, mm-hmm. so like, how would you say like, even in the business world, I know like, like, tell me about that, like applying stories, you know, at work, like how do you, balance that with applying it with your creative life yeah I guess a good question and I think um in that regard I mean sometimes you have to know your audience because often some people just aren't going to take well to stories or if you go down that path they're going to think it's very fluffy so it, it really depends on knowing your audience sometimes it's a big risk to take a story to tell somebody a personal story um, maybe a mistake that you made or even a fairy tale sometimes there's lots of great Aesop fables that you know people can resonate with and all of those stories can be a risk because you can lose your audience immediately with the wrong one or one that is not maybe at their their understanding level or you know so that's why I think storytelling is the hugest risk and that's why I think it's so effective because often when you're telling a story I mean it's good to preface with hey you guys might not like this or this is you know this is a big jump for me um so that they know that you're taking a risk but I think you know that's that's the balance because I think in in um screenwriting and filmmaking you're making risks every day you're kind of expressing yourself and you're you're being creative and you're being very vulnerable and you're you're taking huge risks financial also time-wise so um definitely taking that ability to take those risks and understand that at the end of the day I was just expressing myself and you know I can't get mad at myself for being me that's the one thing that I hold as my anchor in making those choices but yeah I would say like that's probably um how I balance is trying to make sure I know my audience and take risks appropriately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so like even with your like let's say if you jump back Michelle and like go to your very first story um like you remember your first story, like what it was about, like how you kind of got into it? Yeah. Um, good question. So the first story I ever wrote was a children's book and it was about a boy named Kofi that teaches his mother how to speak English and to kind of navigate okay. the city. And that was born out of my own experiences with my mother. So she came to Canada in the nineties and she, was the only Ghanaian woman in the whole entire uh, small town of Kitimat, British Columbia. So for her learning English, you know, was very difficult. And often me and my siblings and my siblings and I would um, kind of coach her and teach her and help her do things. I think it was a little difficult for us because, you know, most parents would read books to their children at night. But my mother couldn't really do that, but she could share her story. So she shared a lot of stories that she knew from memory about herself growing up. Um, And so this was a a children's book that I had written just to kind of, um, you know, sympathize with a lot of 
immigrant children that come over to this country and are the ones kind of helping to their parents navigate the world because they pick up things a lot quicker um, and kind of that dynamic switch where they're they're the ones kind of guiding them. So that that was just a little uh, children's book that I wrote and it showed me that I love writing stories that matter. And then I also love writing stories about my own experiences because I find that I can really get to the heart of the matter and um, connect with people on a deeper level. Yeah, and no, and I love that. I like, I love that you, like your mom, passed you stories down too. And then it's not only that you, uh, like she told you stories, but you also like helped her telling her stories. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, and and like it reminds me of like growing up. I had my grand my grandmother. She used to tell me some stories, and I I just like loved it. I wasn't good at telling stories, but I just like loved hearing them, and just like, oh, there's something about it. Yeah. What was um, one of your favorites? Uh, like she would just tell me like stories of her like growing up from the past, like mm. what my dad looked like when he was young, or you know what life was like. Or she, she was really into like history and like World War Two, so she would like nice. take these like I would I would be like young, like maybe five years old, and I would ask her like some weird question about like the war or something, and she didn't really want to get into that, so she would tell it mm-hmm. as like a story. Um, That's so sweet. But yeah, so like look, looking back at like with coffee in that book. Right. Um, so do you when you write when you make your stories, are most of them just based off like what your life experiences and then you translate them into your story? Yeah, I, that's that's usually where I start. Um, I find writing for me very cathartic. So I often write poetry as well. Um, I write songs and often they're me just kind of processing my feelings um and you know before so I don't like for me I guess to dial back I'm a very emotional dramatic you know sensitive person Mm -hmm. and often I find I really need like a good outlet to express myself or I'm just gonna like wreak havoc you know amongst my family or friends and just care you know putting on my emotions on them so for me writing is a really cathartic way for me to understand myself understand my emotions and experience you know what life what life issues that might come up so that's where I usually start and then I think what makes it fun for me after I processed it is telling that story so somebody else might be able to resonate with it or somebody else might be able to um you know uh benefit from it in some sort of way so that it's not that pain is not for naught it's or that fun experience is is not going to be shared I just I like I think it's pleasing for me to be able to share it with somebody else because then it's it makes it worthwhile of having to go through it yeah yeah and and I love that too like it's like when you share your stories you know maybe someone's going through a similar experience and like without you sharing that they'll never be able to they might feel like they're alone but like when you share that they're like whoa like this is someone else who like like I feel like this I know like I feel like Michelle I I know what this is like so even coming back to you Michelle like what have you learned about yourself through your through your uh, stories? Yeah, good question. I think it's that I'm very emotional and dramatic and I'm extra <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. And I'm loud. Like I'm extremely loud. Um, usually people can hear me from a mile away. I laugh loud. I love to chuckle. Um, and I love to cry too. And I like to do that alongside people. That's one thing I think I've really learned. Um, one thing as well as I've learned that I'm a bit more resilient than I thought I was. Um, you know, when we look yeah. back 
at journal entries that I've written about sad things or like songs I've written. I'm like, man, I've gone through a lot of pain. Um, and just knowing that like, wow, I could get through it or I will get through it. And I think in this industry and trying to break into the film industry is, you know, you have to kind of be resilient and, um, it's tough. Like even in my job, I have to put myself out there all the time. Like every power, everything I make gets in front of people, you know? So I'm often, you know, on a pedestal for criticism and people saying, Oh, that's, there's a spelling mistake there. Or, that's the longer relevant. And, you know, just learning that like, that's okay. And to kind of put compartmentalize that. Um, so I think it's learning that I'm resilient, learning that, um, that, yeah, that, bad things happen. And then at the same thing time also realizing that other people are going through things, you know, um, just the other day I went to get a new ID tag cause I forgot mine. And the yeah. guy came downstairs, um, to help me out. And he like, didn't even say hi or anything like that. And he was being super rude and short with me. And I was like, man, like what's up with mm-hmm. him? And then I looked over to his computer and I saw like, just like a long email that had been written, you know, to him. And I guess that's kind of nosy. I didn't like see the details, but I was like, man, he probably just got an email that he didn't want to read. And now he's upset. And it's like, it's just learning for me, learning that everyone's going through something, you know, and not to take things too personally and, um, yeah, to move on and just be the best person that you can be in that moment. Um, and yeah, be yourself. Yeah, no, I, I I totally love that. Like, I think by you sharing your stories, like what it shows me is like, you are willing to represent yourself. Like you're willing to like go out into the world and like, show like the authentic version of like Michelle like this is your art it's like it's something unique and like no one can ever take that away from you and um like even let's say if we we dive into more like jumping into like how to improve your communication and because like you're like a great communicator Michelle I'm just gonna say that flat out like you're really good (laughs) uh like what would you say to someone who is struggling with communication maybe like young in college, like 18, 19 years old, and they want to get better, uh, what would you suggest to them? How could they improve? Good question. And I'll follow that back to you as well. I think you're an amazing communicator and you're definitely somebody who like makes me want to go represent myself out there in the world because you do it so well. So thank you. But yeah, um, back to your question. I would say number one thing is you have to take full responsibility for the words that come out of your mouth. Um, and the way that you present yourself, you own hundred percent the communication. If, you know, if you send an email and somebody comes back and says, I didn't understand what it was, you can't blame them for being like, man, you should read between the lines or like, you know, ignore that, that comma. You should have understood it. It's hundred percent your responsibility to to communicate effectively. And with that, that comes um, a lot of authority. And I don't think people realize that when you actually own or have ownership of the communication you share with people, you should then make uh, make sure that what you're saying matters, that what you're saying is concise, yep. that what you're saying is not going to um, cause any issues in the future, you know, that you're, you're being as kind as you possibly can. Um, so it's, it's, it's that you own it hundred percent and that, um, and I think it's difficult to take on that, uh, that, that much, <laughs> you know, that you own it. But if you live your life that way, and if you communicate that way, I find you're going to be a lot more concise. You're going to be a lot more focused. You're going to be a lot more kind. Um, you'll understand that your words do live on, that they do matter to people um, and that they, 
they're important. Um, often it's when you take that ownership, it's, you know, um, getting someone to re read your work, um, having it go over and, and ask if they understand it, you know, reading it backwards, uh, for looking at punctuation. Grammarly is absolutely amazing. I use it today. Um, uh, it's awesome. It's free. Um, but, and then also it's the follow-up, right? Like after you've sent that email, if no one's gotten back to you or after you may have dumped somebody and you're not sure if they took it the right way, it's following up with them and saying, Hey, did you understand what my intent was? You know? And if they say no, um, you know, take that opportunity to then re-explain it. And if they, if they just don't want to understand, and some people will choose not to understand, but you should still gain that commitment of like, do do like, is there is there, do you fully understand if it's not that you understand and maybe you just don't agree with it? And if they don't agree with it, then you've, you've done what your job, you know, people can hear it. They don't agree. That's their choice. You've done your job in making sure that they at least hear you out. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's probably my thing is you own a hundred percent of your communication. Yeah. And, and, and I love that too. And like, I think one thing I'm learning from you really comes down to just like taking ownership, like really representing yourself and like going out and you know just kind of uh just like showing up like it's I think it's really important and like even coming back to when you like I know your your audio film I listened to it it's called The Elevator uh and it's great and you know one thing that fascinates me about it is like you decided to show up you decided to like put that out for the world uh and I think there's a lot of people in life right now who have like this creative spirit, who have like this, some type of artistic form, but they're like too, maybe they care about like what people think about them. Maybe they just like, I don't know. They just like, don't feel like it's not good enough for the world, but they never really get started. And I think that's what holds them back. And uh, what I, I guess what I want to ask you is like, how do you overcome that barrier? How do you have like a story or an art form that you want to express with the world and share that with people, even when you feel like you're not really confident with it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and it's been, a, I'm still someone who struggles with having confidence um, and like growing into that. But I think every day that you put yourself out there, you grow confidence. I think confidence is kind of like a muscle. Um, and it's, it's, you know, mm -hmm. kind of starting small. So I started very small with Elevator Story, you know, as a, just a film, limited resources, but it, it grew my hunger. And I think as long as you keep growing your hunger for whatever you're wanting to do, it almost it's hard to satisfy it with just like, you know, telling jokes in front of your friends, you're going to want to grow it in, 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 in a bigger way. Um, I think it's realizing that if you're creative, you're often probably emotional and sensitive and, um, you know, vulnerable. And you probably have that, you have that. And I think for me, it's like, if you have, if you're, if you're afraid of putting yourself out there or taking that next step, um, it's cause you actually probably have so a lot to lose. Um, you know, and, and, and I think you have a lot to lose cause it's comfortable to not be, creative and to be vulnerable and to, to put your, to not put yourself out there. So, um, I think for all creatives that are worried of taking that next step, just realize like it is actually very difficult to take that next step. It's not easy. It's why not many people get to be paid for what they do. But, um, if you feel that inkling, you owe it to yourself to, 
to, to start small, to do little things, to, to, to be patient with yourself, um, study, go back to school, find people that are also passionate that you're, what you're doing to come alongside you because you probably are very sensitive and, you know, your heart probably can't take, you know, um, big leaps into something like go very small go very little and take it day by day and be easy on yourself because what you're doing is actually so difficult and I probably wouldn't wish it on anyone else like I think I, I think I've heard it some, some artists say like if you're if you're going to be a writer like I'm sorry or like you know if you can do anything else yeah. don't be a writer don't be a, a, a don't do it like it's it's not fun you don't do it for the money you don't do it you know for fame like you do it because it's like it's in you so um it's difficult it's not easy it's gonna be hard take baby tiny steps um and build that resiliency build that that confidence because you're gonna need it when it really when it really matters yeah yeah and like even going further like i love that but let's say someone's in a creative slump and they are tapped out and they don't they're lost for ideas what what do you do when you feel like that and you feel like there's nothing for you to create like how do you get yourself out of that yeah i'm i've been fortunate to not have any deadlines like no one's i'm in this place that like no one really puts deadlines on me in my creative space and work it's a little mm-hmm. bit different but for me when i don't feel like writing or creating i go out and live like i go um out to coffee shops or i go watch a comedy show or i go see uh, theater or I go do something completely random that I don't normally do or I go help out a friend that's moving um, and I just live as much as possible because that often will fuel some inspiration um, I go do things I don't like doing <laughs> like I might go you know help my mom do grocery shopping or something like that um, you know pick her up but I'll take yeah. you instead because uh, she doesn't drive so I might go do things that I don't really enjoy because I find when I'm doing those things that or I'm stuck in waiting you know, or take a bus somewhere or take a bus, taking bus rides is an awesome way to get that creative spirit. Um, doing those types of things, I think helps me want to be in the writer's room and like start writing again. Um, that's probably my number one advice is if you can't write, live life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that is awesome. Like I think just by living out and like going on the bus Mm -hmm. ride, right. You you might meet some you might see some yeah, things like it, by in a comedy club like you might get some ideas and like I just had a friend he he went on a trip to the Philippines lately and like this guy he he was like going through some really rough times like he had some personal issues mm-hmm. he was going through but he called me yesterday and he said like dude I, I just like I've been really good lately and it's just from that going out and trying something new and just getting a different perspective you feel like you can I don't know. You feel like you can create, you feel like you get like a fresh start. It's, it's exactly, amazing. Exactly. Yeah. That's, it's really good for your friend to go out and have that revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like with, uh, creating like, and when you run to perfection, like, cause your audio film was really good. Like the sound quality, like the, I was, I really noticed the sound quality of it. Like the, even like the little like sound effects, like that was awesome. And like, how do you, were you always like a, like, do you consider yourself a perfectionist and how do you overcome like with your creative work, uh, perfectionism, or do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? What are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? Good question. Um, so I'm a perfectionist in some areas of my life. It's really weird. Like if you look at my closet right now, you'd be like, this girl is not a perfectionist. Um, but when it comes to things that like I put out, sometimes I can be very, very detailed about it. And I think it's cause I'm 
like I sometimes if I have a vision or I, I see something the way it is, I can't stop until it's right. And it's just it's something that I think will make me be a really good director someday in the future um, as a goal. Because if I visualize it, like I just need to see it that way. Um, and it's it's annoying. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not a great thing because <laughs> you know you spend a lot of time fixing yeah. something. Um, you know, but it's it's it speaks a lot to me. But there's not a lot. Of, there's not many things I'm per- perfectionist about. You know. Um, like I haven't been able to find my hairbrush this morning and I just walked out without it. Um, but yeah, so I think it, it depends, you know, um, depends on what I'm doing that I care about. Like if I'm throwing a birthday party for somebody, I will go all out and I will like, um, you know, make sure everything's perfect. The cake is perfect and all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah, it depends. And I think I actually, to speak to that, I just read this book called the four tendencies. Um, uh, by, I forget her name, actually. Uh, I'm really bad with names. Um, anyways, by Gretchen Rubin. And basically there's like four tendencies. So one of them is like the upholder. The first one's the upholder that she talks about. And this is someone who's very organized, you know, but doesn't need to be told what to do, can have all internal accountability and get stuff done. And they don't understand why people can't get things done. And then there's the person that is the obliger. And this person needs external accountability to get something done. They usually won't do it unless it's impacting somebody else. These are people that are good at teamwork. Um, You know, they care a lot about people, all that kind of stuff. I'm an obliger. Then you have your questioner who's somebody who won't do anything until, you know, they're being questioned that they, I'm sorry, they won't do anything until they get an answer or, you know, before they'll, before they act. And then you have your rebel. So that's somebody who's like a Steve jobs that has a vision, won't do anything unless, you know, that like they won't be told what to do. If you tell them to do something, they'll probably do the opposite. Um, very emotion based. And so for me, one thing I know is that when I'm doing something for other people, I, u- I usually make sure that it's completely perfect for them. But if it's for myself, not so much. Um, so that's like something that I'm, I'm definitely a perfectionist when for other people. But for me, like, I don't usually take much time for myself. But and that that's a problem. So I'm learning to balance right now as kind of being scheduling more like relaxation for myself and love and all that fun, fun, fluffy stuff. And then, you know, and not be so uh, perfectionist all the time. But yeah, I hope that answers your question. I'm not too sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, like I, I found that really interesting. Like I know that, like I was thinking about that too, right? Like you go out and you make things perfect for everyone else, but you know, you don't make things perfect for you. But even looking at my life, like I realized that it's so important for you to make things perfect mm-hmm. for yourself. Cause like you are the, actually the power source, right? Miss, right, Michelle, yeah. like you, like the stronger you become, the stronger everyone else around you becomes. And that's like a way of thinking that I never really thought about much. Like I thought about like, just always like make sure everyone around you is like good, but realistically it's like, it's a, it's a mixture exactly. of both, right? Like, where do you see yourself in like five years, let's say with all your creative work, like what do you want to see yourself doing creatively? Good question. I think uh, in five years, I see myself um, probably giving a, an award at the Oscars or accepting one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think I see myself uh, definitely producing films full time. Um, I'd love to get into being a radio host or a talk show host. Those are some things that I'm definitely interested in. Um, I enjoy improv. So I do improvs on Saturdays. Um, and I would love to go into acting, um, at some point, uh, 
yeah, that's kind of where I see myself in five years. I guess another thing I want to ask you too is I know you mentioned uh, that you like proverbs and like words of wisdom. Um, what really sticks out to you there? Yeah, good question. Um, my so my parents are both from Ghana, West Africa, and they. Um, for them, West African proverbs are things that kind of just came out naturally. Um, and there are a lot of things that my dad would say, especially for kind of corrective action. One of those favorite ones, I mean, and this is something you would obviously say to a preteen girl with friends, um, you know, show me who your friends are and I'll show you your character. And, you know, that always was a difficult one to swallow for me because I'm like, I love my friends so much. But, you know, as you get older in life, you start to realize, okay, I really need to surround myself with people that, um, are going to shape me and mold me to be, you know, the best person that I can be. Um, yeah. So like, I think there's a lot of problems that my parents kind of just shared with us to, to, as we got older and they kind of just stuck in our heads and you kind of just remember it. And then I think it's cool because there, there are things that you can kind of pass down to your children, you know? And, um, another one my parents love to say is, you know, um, Oh, what, how did it go? Uh, it was about, oh, um, the left hand uh, should never know. The left hand should never know what the right hand is doing. And yeah, so that one's kind of like, uh, yeah, so that one's kind of like, I forget. I'm sorry. I'm actually trying to think of how it is, actually. It's one of my dad's favorites. But um, so like that would kind of be like the left hand doesn't know. What the, so it means like you're always like you're you're always following your right hand or. Oh, no, sorry. My apologies. I said it wrong. I was totally not thinking. Um, so something like my parents would say this is the left hand should always know what the right hand is doing. And so kind of making, oh, okay. you're always informing people or informing your parents kind of like what you're about to do next. Um, yeah. And yeah. So <laughs> just kind of like letting me know what's going on and kind of like showing and, and that kind of regard is like we're family. So you have to let me know what's happening. Um because I like I'm and I think by the word right hand, it's kind of like an authority thing. So you should always mm-hmm. let the authority figure know what's going on um, and keep them in, in uh, engaged. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And like, yeah, I, I like that one, too, because I think when you're especially as a creative, right, like when you're putting stuff out, one thing that I noticed is like if you're talking about it, if you're like telling the world, if you're like, you know, your parents know about it or I think that's the hardest for, part for a lot of creatives is like maybe they are unsure about what their parents will think of something or you know but if your parents are on page with you and your friends are on page with you like it's such a powerful uh thing that can fuel you it's like you know because i think that's one of the biggest things that stops creatives is like if they're worried about like what their family might think about their art or like their films or their youtube videos or like their blog or their business idea right it's like once you have that your family and your friends in that corner with you, uh, you realize that, you know, you, you feel so empowered and nothing can really stop you. Exactly. Um, That's true. And I think blessing, and for me, I'm very lucky. My parents are, are supportive of, of pretty much anything I do, if I breathe or not. Uh, I mean, obviously if I stop breathing, they'll be upset, but <laughs> they're, they're happy. But I think, you know, even for those that, um, you know, their parents aren't supporting them. I think that's still a gift in its sense because, I think everything that happens in, in the pre, in the, in the come up, in the warm up for somebody to break out into the scene and to get their stuff out there, like it's always just prep for your next phase in life. And I think if you have parents or family that isn't supportive, it's only going to 
build that resiliency so that you can overcome it later. Because it's, it's one thing when your family doesn't like what you're doing. It's another thing when you have a thousand trolls on the internet telling you they don't like what you're doing and still having to push through. So um, I think if you can fight that and overcome that, like you can overcome anything. So um, it's helpful, yes, to have that support, but it's also helpful to not have that support because often you can, you have this attitude of what do I have to lose? (laughs) You know? So um, each, each, each one works, I think for, for depending on what you're, what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. And like, I'll share with you, like my personal philosophy with this, is I kind of, I, I kind of thought about like, like I like when people say you know good things about what I'm doing, or even if it's like bad things what I'm doing, uh, like I'm not really zoned in on those areas, but I'm always trying to like see okay like how do I assess this, uh, like <laughs> like my inner voice think about this because I think in the end, you know no matter how many people like like what you make or like how many people hate the art that you make or at the end of the day it when you put your head down at night and you're like sleeping comes down to like you know how do I feel about this right it's like how do I think of myself like how do do I actually like what I'm doing and I I think that's like so such an important part that a lot of people don't think about right like you don't want to always create something for someone else and I think when people can start listening to themselves and trusting themselves that's when you start to see like the authentic you know uh, art forms that come out of someone like especially like even talking about him like I think that guy truly trusted his inner voice Mm -hmm. and now we're you know I'm I'm on a MacBook Air creating this podcast because of that so yeah yeah that's amazing I totally agree with you yeah like I think it is it is finding your inner voice and doing whatever it takes to express it and to put it out there Mm -hmm. so I guess with that uh, with that Michelle I, I like I want to honor you for coming on the podcast. Like, thank you so much. And uh, I have two more questions to ask you before the end, but you know, I want to acknowledge you for just like putting your art form out. Like I know how hard it is to start to create stuff. And I think that you're like very talented and you just got to keep putting more stuff out there and like big things are coming ahead. So I guess what I want to ask you to end is what advice would you give to your, let's say your 15 year old self from Michelle now? Yeah. Good question. Hmm. I think as cliche as it might sound, I think when I was 15 years old, often people told me in many circumstances, like if I lost a basketball game or after a breakup or failing an exam, you know, Mm -hmm. oh, it gets better. Like life gets better. When you go to university, it'll be so much different. You'll have more freedom. Or when you go to university, you'll find a guy or you'll, when you, you know, you'll all these things like people will say things will get better. And then when you're done university, they'll say, Oh, once you get a real job, it'll be so less stressful than university. You won't have to study as much, you know, things will get better. You'll find friends that you really like all this stuff. Like life will get better. Life will get better. And I think it's a very good thing to tell people that life will get better. But I often think if I were going to look to my 15 year old self that, you know, life might not always get better in the sense that you have everything that you, you desire or look for, but that you will get better at finding those things and um, understanding why you have those desires and that you'll get better at having the right tools to take life on and to live life adventurously and to make choices that you'll never regret, that you'll, you'll, you'll find those 
things and you will get better in life. Um, and life, you know, things will come and things will go, things will be happy, things will be sad, but you know, who you are and how you grow yourself is what truly matters. So I think that's the advice I give my 15 year old self, keep experiencing life, keep growing, keep trying to change who you are to become the person that, um, God has called you to be. Um, and, and yeah, you know, stick to it, but, uh, don't let anyone fool you that life is going to be better after a certain circumstance. Um, but yeah. yes, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't say like better in the sense of like life gets, gets better, but um, that life will always have its challenges and uh, it's all about how you view it. That, that really matters. Yeah. And like, I love how you said keep experiencing life. Like you got to stick in there mm-hmm. and you got to like live it up, right? Like you got to go out and, you know, it, it's your experience. It's, you know, there's so much out there. Exactly. And for the last question, uh, what is passion? Oh, good question. Man, that's actually a really good question. Cause I mean, you know, when you have it and you know, when you don't have it, <laughs> that's probably how I would say it. Like, you know, when you're passionate about something um, and yeah. people will tell you that they can see the passion coming off of you when you're passionate about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, but when you're bored by when something bores you, it's just, you like, it's boring, but I think it's definitely a feeling that, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's probably it. I think, you know, when you're passionate and you know, when you're not, I think that's, that's the fun thing about passion. And it's not something that I think you can really ignite yourself. Like, I don't think you can really sit in a room and live out your passion. You really have to go and be in scenarios or be in situations that your passion can then, you know, surround itself around you. Um, you really need to just kind of, yeah, chase after it. Um, and you'll know when you find it because I mean, it's life changing, it's fun and it's exciting, um, and riveting. So yeah, I think that's probably my answer for that one. No, and yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, like you have it, right. And so where can people find you on social and, you know, dive into some of your passions and learn about you. Yeah. Good question. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm michelle.afia. That's michelle with two L's dot A, F as in Frank, I, A, Afia. And then my Twitter is Michelle Owusu. That's Michelle with two L's again, O-W-U-S-U. And then I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Michelle Owusu there as well. Happy to connect. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I'll have uh, these in the show notes below. And also, what about your audio film? Yeah, and, uh, um, I have another Instagram dedicated solely to the audio film that I put out, and that's called um, that's at the dot elevator dot story, um, and that's on Instagram. So if you go to that page, you'll see a link on Spotify, and you can go directly there. Or if you go to Spotify, you can just search up the Elevator Story, um, and you'll find me as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much, Michelle, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. There's a lot of learning that you can do especially just diving into being able to create and share your experience with the world so with that guys we'll see you in the next episode of the zenfulness podcast